independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Not only can you uh, do well by doing good, but you can do very well by doing good. And you don't have to make your money in traditional ways and then use philanthropy to solve the problems that your investment capital is generating. What do we need to know about impact investing and how that can help us accelerate towards a healthier, thriving planet? Why does the traditional idea of first making as much money as possible at the cost of social and environmental welfare, and then donating to good causes to address those very problems created, why does that not make sense? I guess that's pretty obvious, but that's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. If you're not already signed up to our weekly newsletter with highlights from the podcast, you can do so at greendreamer.com. With that, you'll also automatically be entered to win our monthly eco giveaways. I'll share more information on that in our upcoming email, so don't miss out. That's greendreamer.com to sign up. And now to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the founder and managing partner of Full Cycle Energy Fund. He's also a renowned investor, environmentalist, and highly regarded speaker. But that's not it. On top of his work in sustainability, he's also dedicated to advancing social change in the world and in societies that adversely impact women and girls. We had talked about the intersectionality of women's rights and environmental justice before on episode 56 with Carlos Safina, and you'll learn more about this from our guest today as well. So here we go. Green Dreamer is starting with what inspired his passion for nature. Here's Ibrahim Al-Husseini. So I started off, you know, I bought into the whole uh, capitalistic narrative early on. You know, I was, I was, I grew up as a second class citizen in a refugee, in a refugee. And, you know, one of the things that you learn quickly as a refugee is that you are powerless. So the first thing you look for when you're a child is how to get some power. And it seemed, if you looked around, that the people who had the most wealth uh, seemed to hold a lot of power. And that became kind of my mantra as a kid where I checked out of being a child and just waited to become an adult so I can go out there and make some money and get some power, mostly to protect my family because I felt like they were in a uh, compromised position and in a kind of a geopolitically precarious situation. And I was unable to make a difference for them. And this was my way of healing that. And this was, of course, all unconscious in my mind. Um, so 
when you know I was eager to start my first business. Fortunately, that worked out well for me. My second business worked out well. My third, not so much. You know, I got caught up in the dot com uh, bubble, and uh, that business you know didn't survive. But you know, I still was in a in a very uh, privileged position financially and was able to uh, recover through a lot of different investments, mostly through technology investments after that crash. But there was a series of things that actually happened. One of them, uh, and I think this is the, uh, I was asked this question about, about a month ago and somebody asked me, how has art affected your work and passion in the world? Mm-hmm. And I, I was, and my first, my first uh, inclination was just to say, I don't think it has. And then I remembered that when I was 13 or 14, I had heard uh, Tracy Chapman's song, I think it's called Why Do the Babies Starve or something like that. And I remember because that song, the lyrics were posed as a question and it was so catchy that I kept playing it in my head and it kind of opened up a little corridor in my mind to, hey, why is that? You know, why, <laughs> why do the babies starve when there's enough food to feed the world? You know, uh, how do the lyrics go? Let me think about it. Why do the babies starve? There's enough food to feed the world. Why, if there's so many of us, there are people still alone? Why are the, why are the missiles called peacekeepers when they're aimed to kill? And why is a woman still not safe when she's in her home? Wow. And I remember that like a 13, 14 year old boy thinking, why is that? Yeah. So it's kind of like opened up this little space in my being that um, was always there and never closed off. And I will be grateful for her to her forever for this gift. And then, you know, here I am, Mr. Moneybags, you know, early in my uh, or sometime in my late 20s, I think at this point. And I get exposed to, if you call it a poem or an inquiry, I don't know what it is, where they, I guess it's known in the zeitgeist as a Native American saying, but who knows, you know, what the internet claims anything is. <laughs> um, but it, it says, it said something like, when the last tree is cut down and the last fish is eaten and the last stream poisoned, you will realize that you cannot eat money. Mm. And I remember that. And, and, and I, of course, I was... Like to me, when I heard that, I, you know, it kind of woke me up from my capitalistic stupor. And I remembered how when I grew up, I was in love with nature as a scuba diver. And I had my favorite spot that was always pristine, colorful, full of uh, marine life and corals and colors. And 10 years after, I went scuba diving in the same spot and it was completely dead. I mean, there was, it was completely gray, full of garbage, full of plastic, tires, you name it. And I thought to myself, like, what's the point of all the money if there's not going to be any more beauty on this planet? That, I remember having that conversation. Like, I, I hadn't yet made the connection between, you know, how environmental devastation affects uh, the bottom billion. I hadn't made the connection between how climate disruption will affect our health, you know, but I remember thinking, gosh, I mean, if we are unable to live on a planet with butterflies, hummingbirds, whales, manatees, 
you know, flowers. Like, what's the point? What's the point of, you know, having big mansions with walls and, you know, watching, watching how the world was on, I don't know, I guess today it would be virtual reality. So it sounds like it's just a realization that as we try to improve our own lives, as we try to develop society, quote unquote, develop, we just can't do it at the cost of harming our earth. Well, I mean, that's exactly what we are doing. I mean, we're the, and, and we, we shouldn't be doing it, but that's what we are doing. I mean, that's, that's what externalities are. I mean, the, like, like Al Gore says, we use the atmosphere as an open sewer. That's what our manufacturing does. That's what civilization is built on is using our oceans and our atmosphere as an open sewer and hoping, hopefully that it becomes, you know, what is, uh, hopefully becomes, you know, a, um, the the tragedy of the commons, I guess, is that hey, this becomes everyone's problem, but not my problem. I ch- I cashed in and made my widget and made my money, and now you know, and can go off and build my walls or whatever it is that the plan is. But yeah, that's mm. what we do. So it sounds like this realization is also what led you to becoming a socially and environmentally driven investor. Hundred percent. There's no way, you know. I mean, there was an incident where a guy came and pitched me once uh, in my home in, the, in West Hollywood. And he came and he was a brilliant guy, like super special. You can tell this guy, you know, if he put his mind to something, he could have cured cancer or, you know, I don't know, you know, developed the internet <laughs> or something. And he, um, he was pitching me on the most boring business plan I had ever heard. It was <laughs> buy a bunch of land outside of Los Angeles, cut down the trees, connect the plumbing and the roads and electricity and start building track homes and selling it to people who are mystified by the you know American dream and don't mind commuting two hours a day to their job and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought I was like, like I was so not interested in that, even though the economics seemed quote unquote fine and you know lucrative. But I thought to myself, there's such a dissonance between this guy's ability to create in the world and to generate and to regenerate in the world and what he's choosing to put his energy into. And I realized that we all, this is such a common behavior. First, I have to quote unquote, make my money. Then maybe one day I'll do something redeeming. And that's this, what's that word? Bifurcation? of the way we live our life or the way we inherited the the American dream narrative, which is, you know, cash in and then you can be free to do what you want. And if everybody does that, we're going to run out of time and there won't be time to do all the stuff we quote unquote want to do, which is, you know, redeeming, contributive, helpful, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Do you think there's a common misconception that uh, people can't do good while making a living at the same time? Yeah, I think that I think that uh, used to be the case, or used to be kind of the common belief system. And um, like, I definitely work very hard and diligently to dispel that. It's super important to me that I do, and that's one of the reasons why I work to have a hundred percent impact portfolio, so I can show that not only can you uh, do well by doing good, but you can do very well by doing good, and that you don't have to make your money in traditional ways and then use philanthropy to solve the problems that your investment capital is generating, which I think is kind of a funny uh, thing that you know, philanthropists do. It's like their, their money is in you know, oil pipelines, 
and they're saving the rainforest with their philanthropic dollars. Well, well if 95% of your money is in, let's say, the um, traditional agricultural system that's cutting down rainforest to create grain to feed the cows, and you're, you know, and 5% of it is quote unquote saving the rainforest, that's a losing battle and that math doesn't work out ever. Very ironic. <laughs> yeah. So, well, with part of your impact investing, you also founded Full Cycle Energy, which funds companies with the goal of turning municipal solid waste into clean energy. Why the focus on turning landfill waste into energy? So, so I'm sure you've heard uh, about our growing garbage crisis. I For mean, sure. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I mean, thank goodness I saw a video the other day on Facebook that was, you know, one, there was two videos. One is about, you know, Donald Trump saying something about something. They had like 4 million views. And, and I looked, and the next post was a video about the growing uh, plastic pollution in the Pacific Ocean. And it had 100 million views and it was <laughs> only four weeks old. So I was so heartened by that, like that we, you know, we finally have the awareness about how big a problem this is. And so when I found a company called Sonova Technologies uh, five years ago, I decided to build a special company called Full Cycle that is designed specifically to expedite the adoption of the Sonova technology in the world so we can revolutionize our relationship to waste. Because if you think about it, uh, uh, like our garbage is a uh, a resource like it's not something that is that doesn't have a purpose it could be repurposed for many things the simplest thing we can repurpose it for is to create renewable energy and you know Sonova's technology takes garbage and turns it into a uh, something called a synthesis gas the industry term is syngas and then cleans the syngas so it, it's like it is so clean that the flame that it creates is actually blue the day you can't even see it you can only tell it's blue if you film it at night and you can put it into a gas turbine and produce electricity or you can turn it into biofuels or or plastics or you know uh, any other things that you can turn you know all these like put reorganize these molecules to turn it into something else and that made so much sense to me especially because the economics around their technology work for any um, any jurisdiction in the world. Like it's not one of those solutions that sounds fantastic, but the only people who can afford it are people in Berlin and San Francisco. You know, this is one of those things that works for India, Malaysia, Indonesia, China, uh, Sudan, you name it. It works for every economy in the world. Investors make money, uh, countries benefit, consumers benefit. And we generate uh, uh, electricity from something we're currently throwing into our oceans or burying it in our ground, which is silly. Mm -hmm. So how would this work? Would people, would we like give our trash to this facility and they would turn it into energy or how would that work? So fortunately, there's nothing that the consumer has to do. They just have to do, you know, hopefully the, you know, the consumer awareness continues to rise and we use less and we reuse more. Uh, but traditionally, just what we do now, which is our garbage gets picked up and instead of it going into a landfill, it ends up getting delivered to a Sonova processing facility that 
uh, sorts the garbage. So recyclables go into the recycling ecosystem to the degree that they get recycled, which as a lot of us know that China doesn't take, you know, a lot of the world's plastic anymore. So that doesn't actually get recycled the way it used to. And I think the numbers now are down to uh, are down to 10 percent, meaning only 10 percent or so of uh, our recycling actually gets recycled because of at least at least in the case of plastics. But, um, you know, glass gets recycled, metals get recycled, rocks uh, get recycled. Uh, well, they don't get recycled, but they at least get uh, put back into nature. <laughs> and, uh, and everything else turns into clean, clean, renewable energy that gets pumped back into the city that the waste came from. Instead of it being trucked hundreds of miles burning diesel and uh, tires uh, into a landfill far, far away that makes us feel really good because it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, so this really helps us to actually move towards a more circular economy. I love circular economy. That's what nature does. The sooner we get to, you know, uh, more closed loop systems, the faster we'll get get rid of the notion of nature being our uh, our sewage dump. Well, I feel like most investors just invest based on projects that can bring them back the most return on investment, which is fair. But impact investors like you want to invest beyond the bottom line on the well-being of people and our planet and also our collective future. What's been one of your greatest struggles being an investor that cares more than just about the bottom line? So when I started to talk about impact investing, I get invited a lot, you know, thankfully to speak at family office conferences uh, about this uh, thesis of mine or strategy, or and when and I open up my portfolio and I talk about these things, and you know, I've, in 2004, like people would look at me like I have three heads, <laughs> but honestly, they don't anymore. You know, this idea of impact investing, uh, first of all, has transitioned from being completely alien to having the perception that in order to do impact investing, you have to accept concessionary returns meaning you're not going to make market returns because you're factoring in people and planet. And I think the general consensus now is that's no longer the case. Oh, there was another part, too, in the journey where, you know, there was this notion that, oh, well, yes, there are good returns now, but there's not enough places to deploy enough capital. So uh, and that's no longer the case either. You know, think again, think about full cycle. You know, the world can absorb 5,500 uh, Sonova plants today just to get rid of the garbage that we're currently generating, let alone the garbage we're going to be generating, which is going to be four times as much in our lifetime as what's currently being generated. So, you know, if you think about the average plant costing about $50 million, 50 million times 5,000 plants is, is, is an infinite amount of uh, space for uh, for institutions and sovereign wealth funds and Anybody who wants to uh, deploy capital into for above market returns and solving not just not just the garbage crisis and the renewable energy needs, but also to help those poor families that basically live and die on these toxic landfills because that's the only place they can make a living. So we are seeing more investors wanting to uh, take part in investing for the betterment of our world. And also more and more projects are showing up in this space to be invested in. I mean, what bigger market can there be than making sure that we maintain, you know, planet Earth's life support system? I mean, that's I I would attest that that is the biggest market opportunity in the history of capitalism. 
For sure. Well, also being an impact investor for sustainability and social good, uh, you have to be very conscious of all the current issues that we face today. How do you stay positive and not feel helpless? <laughs> um, I, I stay. I so I fight helplessness, resignation, cynicism by being active. Mm. Because when we take action, instead of just talk about it or or dread it or you know the then it actually it, it helps lift our mood and give us hope because we are actively doing something. So I understand that the, the whole world uh, knows that there is a looming environmental crisis and feels, let's say not the whole world, but a big piece, a big percentage of the world does, and they want to do something about it, but they don't know what to do. They donate where they can. They volunteer where they can. They sign petitions where they can. Well, I'm working with as many legal agencies and law firms around the world to create a, an offering such that we can involve millions of stakeholders internationally in solving the garbage, uh, not the garbage crisis, but like first with the garbage crisis, eventually water, eventually uh, transportation and taking on the whole system. But instead of doing it just through, let's call it, you know, wealth wealthy donors or wealthy investors doing it uh, by having millions of middle class or lower middle class or upper middle class stakeholders so people can feel empowered and know that hey they are they are an owner in the solution and address exactly like this in the, this hopelessness and resignation that we all we all suffer from at different times and it also makes good returns. So they get to, you know, I mean, we all heard the statistics about wealth distribution. There, you know, more and more money is getting concentrated on the top. And if investment opportunities only exist for the top, then we're never, you know, we're going to have another social problem that exists, which is unjust and cruel, if not dangerous for the stability of the planet. And this way we can create a better wealth distribution mechanism where everybody's a stakeholder. That's awesome. Where can we go to stay updated on this? Will this be on your website? Uh, it will be. It's all kind of, you know, uh, behind closed doors now because we want to make sure that, you know, this is even legally 100% possible. And so far it is. And we want to make sure that it checks off all those boxes before we obviously before we launch it, before we even hint to it in any sort of media. Well, we'll look forward to staying posted on that, and we hope that it really happens. Um, and when it comes to you being an impact investor for sustainability, what do you look for in a company or project to see if it has potential to really take off, scale, and create huge positive impact? Well, scale is what I look for. Uh, so I look for commercial ability and, and scale. So what is the problem that it's solving? Is it a problem that is on the priority of existential crises that we have? Where does it fall? So if it's, if somebody's saying, Hey, I have a great idea to, to create organic pot brownies, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I go, great. That's fantastic. And it doesn't solve any of the top 20 problems that we need that are more existential than the need for organic pop brownies. Or, you know, if somebody goes, hey, listen, this is a, you know, a better dating site than the other one. Like, I don't know if the world is suffering because we are lacking one more dating site. <laughs> so, you know, I look at priorities. You know, we have a massive CO2 problem. We have oceans that are getting clogged up 
in uh, with plastic. We have a population boom that's growing. I mean, there's so many issues. So I look for ones that are existential. I look for technologies that are uh, that meet that nexus of proven technology, commercially viable. Uh, the economics of which can uh, grow rapidly without just having rich nations back it, but everybody able to back it. If an opportunity has those criteria, I'll definitely uh, kind of run it through the due diligence engine and make sure that it's everything it claims to be and then, you know, follow, uh, follow it accordingly. And in the bigger picture, what do you think we need most to be able to scale our positive impact as a world to be able to accelerate towards sustainability? The number one thing and the simplest thing that anybody can do if they're like, if they want to do nothing else is just eat less red meat. Even if you love red meat, I'm not talking about like eliminate it from your diet. I'm not saying become a vegan. I'm just saying if you can skip red meat twice a week, that would make such a massive difference. If people knew how much forest gets cut down. So we can plant some GMO crop in its place and some monocrop that's going to destroy, uh, that requires so many chemicals. All of this just to feed our need for beef and pork and milk and cheese, they would stop in a heartbeat. It is such a catastrophe what we're doing just from our diet. And if people can just eat less red meat and less dairy make it into a treat instead of a staple, we will be so much further ahead. Another thing we can do is we can empower women globally. Because when women are empowered and they're educated and they're earning equal pay and they're um, in charge of their own financial destiny, they have less children and their children grow up better and we have less mouths to feed, less mouths that less humans that need energy, less people that need to eat more cows, and we have a stable population on the planet, which is something that uh, we need to get to sooner than later. So empowering women, eating less beef, those are the two low-hanging fruit that I would mention. Another thing we can do is vote properly, you know, vote for governments and candidates that uh, believe that climate science is real and look at it for what it is, which is an existential threat and a, I'm going to say, a social injustice that, you know, so adversely affects the poor and affects everyone's health. And, you know, they are behind the sensical laws that move us towards a carbon neutral society. Anybody who claims otherwise is wrong or knows that they're wrong and is a liar uh, and is just doing it to garner attention or mislead let's say, the uninformed amongst us. Why do you think it is that we already know what it takes to improve public welfare and the health of our planet, but we're, we're still getting all of these forces going against that? I think because we as a planet don't act like uh, a, single, <laughs> a single species. We act as nations in competition with each other. So it's like when we're all in a race, governments get panicky because they're racing with other governments and they try to give themselves as many advantages as possible. And that can't last. Like if we cooperate, we can all live a much healthier life 
then if we continue to compete the way we're competing, then we're going to have governments who are still promoting coal, which is a technology that is so archaic that it makes absolutely no sense. That's like being the, you know, that's like promoting horses and buggies. It's a, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. You know, you, and there's, uh, so I think that's what it is. I think it's competition. And what do you think we as individuals might be able to do to help inspire more togetherness and oneness with our world? Again, during the uh, election cycles, we have one coming up in November, be a active voter, not just for yourself, like, you know, volunteer, uh, be part of the democratic process, drive people to the polls, make sure that your voice is heard and the values that you hold dear are represented in your government. Don't assume that somebody else is going to do that. You know, if we don't vote, if those of us who listen to podcasts like yours don't end up being active members of democracy, then our voices won't be heard. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and passion. Where can we go to continually follow you online and on social media? I'm pretty active on Twitter. So it's at I Al Husseini. And somebody insisted that I built a website, so which is www.ibrahimalhusseini.com, which has a lot of uh, interesting pieces on it, on my waste energy work, on my thoughts on you know blockchain and the carbon footprint of mining uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and a lot of other uh, articles that might be interesting for people to read. Before we go into our final five, I just wanted to say a quick thank you. You're here, I'm assuming, because you're interested in learning more about sustainability in what you can do personally and how you can make a bigger positive impact through your passion project. That really inspires me. And honestly, just knowing you're here alone and hopefully that this podcast has been helpful to you just makes it so worth it for me. So I just wanted to extend my gratitude to you. And of course, if you've gotten a chance to share the podcast with anyone you think would also uh, enjoy the show and who you think the podcast can also support, I so appreciate that as well because it just really helps the podcast out so much. So thank you. Thank you for doing you. And I look Look forward to continually supporting you with Green Dreamer Podcast. For now, to our final five, let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow? I read the Washington Post a lot, and uh, I, you know, and it's interesting during this time of quote unquote fake news. They did a study on uh, the technology that I, I've mentioned on this call, and they even flew to Europe and and met all the scientists and whatnot. So I can tell you firsthand that they do journalism and investigative reporting, and, and uh, they are definitely not fake news. So, you know, watch them. yeah. Uh, what do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? If your dreams do not scare you, they are not big enough. What's one thing you do for your health, either daily or weekly? You know, I make sure I get enough sleep. I don't function well. I noticed that I'm not as thoughtful and articulate when I don't sleep well and my mood suffers. So I make sure I sleep and I monitor my stress levels by not letting my mind go to places that are, you know, unnecessary. So if I see my thought patterns go towards scary places, I just pause and I don't allow myself to stress my system out by going there and just continue to stay proactive and not fearful and frozen. 
Mm -hmm. What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? Mm, I think uh, eating less meat, walking instead of driving. Uh, I love these new scooters that are popping up all over the place. You know, they uh, allow us to get by with so, such a smaller carbon footprint. I always open my windows instead of turn on the AC. And I wear a sweater uh, instead of turning on the heat. I'm very cognitive on my privilege of being somebody who lives uh, in a place where we can uh, enjoy these luxuries, but they do come at a cost and I don't want to abuse them. Mm -hmm. What makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? The fact that there's so many people who care and the fact that this type of conversation is happening at an accelerating pace. The questions are being asked, the actions are being taken, old companies are being uh, put out of business by new companies that represent more 21st century values, you know, values of inclusion, values of sustainability, values of equality. You know, these values are what today's consumer cares about, and they're making sure that they're voting with their dollars everywhere I look. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Become dream actioners. <laughs> <laughs> Take that dream and think about you know, what your gifts are and give them to the world. Become dream actioners. Yes, we are green dreamers here, but we also really want for that vision of a thriving planet to come true, right? So let's keep taking action. However we can, little by little, whatever that looks like to you, just gotta keep going forward. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview, as well as links and resources at greendreamer.com 70 for episode 70. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And again, you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. That's K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E. And finally, just remember... Now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.